This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The golden age of radio was truly the golden age of suspense, as show after show broadcast outstanding plays, which were calculated to intrigue, to stir the nerves. It was the series' first producer, William Spear, who set the framework for the rules that were to stay in the show for most of its run. Mr. Spear determined that the series should deal with life and death situations established near the beginning of each play, and then through the use of Bernard Herrmann's musical coloring and the writer's characterizations, slowly tightened the knot of suspense. Many of the early stories were written by the mystery writer John Dixon Carr. Others were by fine writers like Lucille Fletcher, whose suspense play, Sorry, Wrong Number, was turned into a major motion picture. The series also drew from the mystery writers of the day, as well as the horror writers of literature. Writers such as Edgar Allan Poe, Cornell Woolrich, Dorothy Sayers, and H.G. Wells. Tonight, the episode is called Fly by Night. Autolite and its 96,000 dealers present Suspense. Tonight, Autolite brings you Fly by Night, a suspense play starring Mr. Joseph Cotton. Well, Manning, how about signing this confession? I want my lawyer. You don't need a lawyer, not if you tell the truth. Well, my wife's cousin, Charles Borden, he's a lawyer. I want him. Look, Manning, we know you killed Garvin. All you have to do is admit it. I didn't do it. It's a frame, I told you. Just as soon as you confess, you can go to sleep. A bargain? I didn't kill Garvin. Don't be stubborn, Manning. I didn't do it. Frame. Then how come that boy Venuti saw you? He says he saw you leave Garvin's apartment at 11.30 just after the shoot. Well, after 10. Venuti. Why? Why should Venuti lie? Let me talk to him. I'll find out. What's to find out? You hated Garvin. You don't deny that, do you? Garvin accuses you of stealing money from the business. Throws you out. So you kill him. Couldn't throw me out. Full partner, of it. You're alone. You killed him. Sleep. Not until you sign this confession. Sign this confession and we won't bother you anymore. You can lie down on my bed here in my apartment and sleep till you can't look sleep in the face anymore. Come on, Manning. Be smart. You, you Wait a minute. He's asleep. Oh? <laughs> Come on, Manny. Confess or I'll keep you awake forever. All right. All right. All right. You'll sign the confession? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll sign it. Sleep. Put the killer to bed, too. Oh. 
In just a moment, Mr. Joseph Cotton in the first act of Fly by Night. Gee, Harlow, I went to a carnival last night, and that human skeleton... Thin, huh? Oh, practically transparent. Lives on bread and drinks water only once a week. Once a week? Well, that's nothing, Hap. Autolite Stayful batteries need water only three times a year in normal car use. And they had a strong man who lifted a horse. One horse? Oh, listen, Hap. The Autolite Stayful battery can snap up a hundred horses in your car's engine without even half trying. But they have a big advantage. Oh, and what's that? Autolite Stayful batteries have fiberglass retaining mats to help reduce flaking and shedding and thus protect the power of every positive plate. And it was a flagpole sitter at the carnival, too. He's out to break the record. Uh, he'll never break the Autolite Stayful battery record, Hap, because you can't buy a better battery for your car. Uh, you're sharper than a sword swallower's supper, Harlow. Thank you, Hap. And friends, see your Autolite battery dealer and ask him for an Autolite Stayful battery, the battery that needs water only three times a year in normal car use. And remember, you're always right with Autolite. And now with Fly by Night and the performance of Mr. Joseph Cotton, Autolite hopes once again to keep you in suspense. Wake up. Mm. Wake up, Manning. Wake up. Come on, get up. You had your eight hours sleep. Let's go calling. What? What? Don't you remember? You signed a confession. Admitted you murdered Leo Garvin. Oh. I, I didn't do it. I, I didn't kill Garvin. Come on, into the bathroom and shave. Here. Lieutenant Driscoll left this shirt for you to change into. Want you to look nice for the photographer. I didn't do it. I left Garvin. It was 10 o'clock and he was alive. Yeah, yeah. Save it for the courtroom. They'll be real impressed. With a signed confession. I'll swear you forced me. Sure, so what? You can't swear Venuti out of existence. He saw you leave at 11.30. You'll testify, sir. He's a liar. He's part of the frame. I want to see him. Go on, shave. You'll see Venuti in court. Ah, uh, shaving mugs, soap, brush. All right, all right, all right. Come on, come on. How much lather do you need? Hey, my eyes, my eyes. It worked. The shaving brush in Kogan's eyes and hitting him with all the strength I had left in me, it worked. And I got out of there, out and into the streets. They didn't have to torture me. Lieutenant Driscoll and Sergeant Cogan didn't have to beat me with a rubber hose to make me confess to a crime I never committed. All they had to do was keep me without sleep for 72 hours. After that, a man will do anything just to be allowed to shut his eyes. So I signed a confession because I just wanted to sleep. But now, now I was awake and on the street outside Lieutenant Driscoll's apartment. It was 8.15 in the morning. For the next four hours, I walked, trying to recall everything I'd known about Venuti, trying to figure just one reason why he wanted to frame me, why, why he said I left Garvin's at 11.30. It was no use. I, I couldn't think of anything. 
And suddenly it occurred to me they were looking at me. The people on the street were staring. Then I remembered it was October and I had no coat. I was in shirt sleeves. I'd left my coat in Lieutenant Driscoll's apartment. Can I help you, mister? Yeah, you got a phone in here. Or down that aisle to your left. Downtown. I escaped, Mary. I got away from them. You're an idiot. You'll only make it worse for yourself. Now listen, Mary. I didn't kill Garvin. I need your help. I need a coat. I can't help you, Mickey. What? You're a murderer. Even if you are my husband, I'm not going to be involved. I didn't kill him. It, it's all a frame, Mary. All I've got to do is find a guy named Benuti and beat it out of him. Mary. Mary. The shock of finding that her husband was wanted for murder. I had to get to Benuti to prove it was a lie. But now was no time to think about it because it was a few minutes before one o'clock and that was good because I was near Charlie Borden's office. They went out to lunch at one o'clock. Charlie was my lawyer and my wife's cousin. And now he was the man I had to see. There was an alley next to his office building. I waited there. been these past three days. Listen, Charlie, two cops had me in an apartment uptown. Cops? What for? Trying to get a confession out of me. What kind of confession? They say I killed Leo Garvin. Oh, they've got a witness named Benuti. He said I left Garvin's place at 11.30, but I left at 10. Well, then you've got nothing to worry about. Mickey, Mary will testify you were home a little after 10. I didn't get home till after 12. Huh? Well, after I left Garvin, I walked. We had an argument. I was upset. I spent a couple of hours walking. Well, then you didn't do it. No, no, of course I didn't. They got a confession out of me anyway. You mean to say you signed a confession when you didn't do it? Well, they kept me without sleep for 72 well, hours. I can't do that. That's illegal. Listen, Charlie, I need your help. Of course. Let's go back to my office. I'll arrange to surrender you directly to the DA. And I'm going to raise the roof about that confession. I'm not going to surrender. I've been framed, Charlie. I've got to find this for Newton. Listen, Mickey, you leave that to me. You can't wander around where any cop might take a shot at you. I've got to find me first. Listen, I need a jacket and a coat. Can you get them for me? Sure. I'll phone Mary right away. Where'd you be? Uh, remember that movie we went to last week? The Riverly? Yeah. I'll be there. Back row. Make sure they're not following you. Okay, give me a half hour. What will you do meantime? I'll give you an hour because I'm going to Benuti's. I'm going to make him tell me who paid him for that lie. Mickey, don't do it. Better leave things to me. Just get me the coat and the jacket. Benuti is the one thing I can take care of better than you. I caught a streetcar and 20 minutes later I was walking toward the swayback two-story building where Benuti had his insurance office just across the street from Garvin's house. 
I opened the door and walked in. You want something? Drink, maybe? Vanuti. Where is he? Who shall I say is calling? Where's Vanuti? You look like you want him real bad. Come on, come on. Where is he? Take it easy. Take it easy. Slow down. You want to see Vanuti? I'll take you to Vanuti. Come on. There he is. There's Venuti. Sure you don't want that drink? He was sitting at his desk, natty as ever, disinterested as ever. I walked over to him, stopped. There was a bullet hole in his forehead. He was dead. There was a gun lying on the floor. I picked it up, examined it. Two bullets had been fired. And it was my gun. Autolite is bringing you Mr. Joseph Cotton in Fly by Night. Tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Mr. Joseph Cotton in Elliot Lewis's production of Fly by Night, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. I told you I'd take you to Venuti. What do you think of him? What happened? I found him dead when I came in. A couple of minutes before you did. By the way, who are you? Did you kill him? I know who you are. Your name is Manning. How do you know me? Fell in the picture. What picture? Never mind. Well, you still haven't told me what you're doing here. Vanity's <laughs> girl. My name's Irene Conway. We had a cocktail date. What kind of date did you keep with him? He swore he saw me leave Garvin's apartment at 11.30 the night Garvin was killed. He lied. He lied about a lot of things. Well, I came here to get the truth out of him, but someone's been here first to shut him up. You never got anything out of him. I'll prove it to you. Garvin was shot on Monday night, wasn't he? That's right. Why? Venuti couldn't have seen you leaving Garvin's place. We were together in my apartment on the other side of town to close to two. And what made him lie? Why did he do it? Why did he frame me? What? Tell me. Someone paid him to say he saw me leave Garvin's house that night. Maybe. Who? Who paid him? Maybe the man. What man? On Monday, Venuti called me to meet him here at about five o'clock. There was a man with him. He was looking at some pictures. And when I came in, the man put him away in a hurry. Went right out without even saying goodbye. I know everybody Venuti knows. This man was a stranger. But his name? Didn't Venuti mention his name? Uh, well, he wouldn't talk about him. I asked him what the pictures were. He got mad. But I saw one of them. Who was it? You. 
That's how I recognized you when you came in. Can you describe this man? He was a blonde man. He wasn't pretty. You're pretty. Vanuti was pretty. Vanuti was prettier than anybody. Listen, Irene, you've got to talk to Charles Borden, my cousin. He's a lawyer. You've got to tell him everything you told me. Will you do that for me? Vanuti isn't pretty. Listen, Irene, Vanuti's dead. There's nothing on the door, Mr. Manning. Must be the police. I call the police. Look, my cousin's name is Charles Borden. He's in the Taft building. You go right down to his office and tell him. I know that's the police. Don't you think you better run? Don't you understand? You've got to do it now. Right now. No, no, I I couldn't right now. I've got to talk to the police. Just just, just a minute. Charles Borden in the Taft building. Will you do it? You better run, Mr. Manning. Run fast. Charlie in the movie theater. Get the jacket and coat from him. Tell him about Irene and the man with my picture. I got settled in one of the empty seats in the back row of the movie and waited. In a little while, Charlie came in and sat down next to me. He had the extra coat and jacket with him. Did you find Venuti? I found him. He was dead when I found him. Shot with my pistol. Here, here, you take it, huh? Someone's trying to get me, Charlie, and I think I have a lead on it. What kind of lead? A girl named Irene Conway, friend of Venuti's. She saw the man who paid Venuti to put the finger on me. If she doesn't come to you, you've got to find her, Charlie. Okay. Make her tell you what she knows, then follow it up. Hire detectives if you have to. Eric can sign checks for me. I've got about 1500 in my account. Don't worry about the money. I'll take care of it. I need some cash now. I used what I had on phones and streetcars. I put $25 in the jacket. Thanks, Charlie. I hope it fits you. It's my jacket. Mary wouldn't give me one of yours. I'll keep in touch with you by phone. Okay. I'm going. You stay for another ten minutes or so. Right, right. Thanks again. Good luck, Mickey. Charlie walked out, leaving the coat and jacket on the seat. I waited ten minutes then picked up the clothes and started to leave when a woman sitting three seats away carefully closed a bag of popcorn, leaned over and grabbed me by the arm. What do you think you're doing? Pardon me, please. Stop that man. He's stealing the gentleman's coat. He's a thief. Wait a minute, you. What do you think you're going? Now, now let go of me. Let go. Let I won't... go, Asher. That's him. That coat and jacket he's carrying don't belong to him. He's trying to sneak out. Oh, what are you talking about? These are my things. Oh, no, Let they're me... not. I saw you come in. You didn't have them then. That other man sat beside you, and when he went to the, the men's lounge, you grabbed his clothes. Andrew, I you're saw mistaken. You. These are my things. Are you sure you don't belong to him, madam? What have I got eyes in my head for? I was sitting only three seats away. Of course, I'm sure. Go to the men's lounge and find that other gentleman and you'll see whether I'm mistaken. I tell you, call the police. Let's go to the office and get this straightened out. I don't have time. These are my clothes and I'm... I remember you came in your shirt sleeves. Come on. All right, all right. Take me to the manager right now. You want me to come too? I saw him. Yes, madam. And please don't talk too loud. You're disturbing the patron. Uh, Mr. Schreier, this woman claims that this man is trying to walk out with a coat and jacket belonging to another patron. Oh. She says he's in the lounge. Is that so? 
Go get the gentleman in the lounge. Yeah, yes, sir. Yeah, this is all a mistake. Coat's mine, so's the jacket. It is not. You came in without a coat or a I jacket. I don't deny that. The man who brought them was my cousin. I'd left them in his office. And you won't find him in the lounge. He's gone back to his office. You say this coat and jacket are yours? Yes. Can you identify them by the contents of the pocket? Well, there should be $25 in the jacket. In which pocket? I don't remember one of them. Well, we'll soon see. Nothing in this pocket. Oh, here, here's something. Bill. Yeah, I told you. Five, ten, fifteen, twenty-five. He could have put the money there. That's no proof the coat I came. told you it was my jacket. Now, may I have it, please? Oh, just a moment. There's a letter here in the inside pocket. I presume it's yours. Sure, it's mine. And the name on it? If it's your letter, it should have your name on it. Oh, of course. Name is uh, Charles Borden. Yes, it's addressed in care of Charles Borden, but not to Charles Borden. Oh, yeah, uh, I'd forgotten. It's addressed to Manning. Mrs. Michael Manning. Yes, Mrs. Manning is my cousin. Uh Uh-huh. And what is your address? 5437 Booth Street, Forest Hills. Well, that's the address, all right, madam. I'm afraid you've made a mistake. This man can identify the clothing. This man's a thief. Oh, I don't think he is, madam. My apologies, sir. It's quite all right. I walked out of the theater, lost myself in the crowd, and didn't stop until I was ten blocks away. Then I slipped into a lunchroom and had my first meal of the day. While I was eating, I took the letter out of the pocket of Charles' jacket. Why hadn't he turned this letter over to my wife? What was in it he didn't want Mary to see? I opened and read it. Leeds, Fulbright and Benning, Attorneys at Law, 1312 Q Street, Sacramento, California, 12 August 1950. Dear Mrs. Manning, this is to inform you that you have been named sole beneficiary under the last will and testament of your late uncle, Benjamin Williams. We request that you or your attorney appear in the probate proceedings by means of the enclosed waiver of citation so that we may make distribution. In our opinion, after taxes, your inheritance will be upwards of $200,000. Silly horse, Judy Spinning. $200,000? I was stunned at first. Then it suddenly occurred to me, Charlie hadn't said a word about it. Charlie hadn't even shown the letter to Mary. Then I took another look at the date. August 12th. Over a month ago. Then it came into focus. Cousin Charlie was playing the hand alone. He didn't want Mary to have any of that money. Charlie was the one who had framed me. Get me out of the way, then Mary. Then Charlie would be the sole survivor of our late uncle. Charlie had stolen my gun. Then I'd help him. I'd put my fingerprints on the gun at Benuti's and then given it to Charlie. Charlie was the man with the pictures who paid Benuti to put me on the spot. Huh. I paid my check and grabbed the cab outside. At 8.30, I was running up the steps of Charlie's house. Mickey. I want to talk to you, Charlie. Anyone see you come here? I didn't bother to look. I want to talk to you. All right, Mickey. You had me fooled, Charlie. Frame me and fool me. What are you talking about? You knew Mary had inherited $200,000. $200,000? You knew it. 
Never told Mary about it. Killed Garvin to get rid of me. Killed Venuti because you were afraid I'd beat the truth out of him. When were you planning to kill Mary? Oh, you're going crazy, Mickey. Now, look, listen now to me. Now, I'm going to beat a confession out of you, cousin. I swear to you, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> me confess, Charlie. I confessed what? Confess. Confess. You didn't confess, Charlie. Well, I'll get someone who'll make you do it. Someone... Who's an expert at it? Driscoll. 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 West Stadium. your murderer for you. Driscoll called me and said you found Garvin's killer. Have you really, Mickey? Yes. The nudies, too. I told you it was a frame, Mary. Who's the killer, Manny? Cousin Charlie. Now, why should Charlie kill them, Mickey? Because he wanted all that money for himself, don't you see? Because, because he wanted that $200,000 for himself. Is that why? Yes, that... Wait a minute. How did you know about that $200,000, Mary? I knew it from the day I got the letter from the lawyers. And I said to myself, now, there's no sense in sharing all that money when there's a way to get it all to myself. So, so, so you framed me, Mary. So I framed you. Driscoll and I framed you. Driscoll killed Garvin, killed Venuti. Now... Driscoll, what's your salary for killing off-duty? Always off-duty, killing. Hogan and I don't have badges. People like... Mary, here, pay us the play act of being cop. That confession I made to you is worthless. No, not at all, Mickey. I have it in my purse. It's a confession a husband made to his wife. Well, tell me something, wife. How did you plant that letter from the lawyers so I'd find it in Charlie's jacket? Well, Charlie called me and told me you needed a jacket. I came to Charlie and persuaded him to take one of his own. Then I slipped the letter in the pocket so you'd find it. Had two people killed for that money just to get rid of me. Why didn't you just kill me and leave the others alone? I like it this way, Mickey. I like testifying at your trial. I like being all broken up because they'll hang you for murder. Driscoll? Yeah. Let's go say hello to Cousin Charlie. Hello, Cousin Charlie. Huh? Cousin Charlie doesn't answer. My, my, you really beat him up, Manning. Charlie did. Oh, cousin Charlie is still alive. He'll be able to talk. And if he talks, Mary will be in trouble. Hold this gun on your husband. All right. Close your eyes if you can't stand this, Manning. I'm going to start on Cousin Charlie where you left off. Leave Charlie alone. Leave him alone. I'll kill you, Driscoll. Mary, kill you. Mary, get him off me. Let's go. 
Drop it. Drop it. Drop it. Help me. I'll break every bone. Drop it, Mary. Mickey. Oh, Mickey. Now, Mickey. Mary. Uh, Go over to that phone. Go over to the phone. uh, All right, Mickey. Call the police. Tell them you're calling for me. Then tell them I know who killed my partner, Gob. All right, Mickey. Mary Manning, I'm calling for my husband, Mickey Manning. Tell them how you frame me, Mary. My my husband wants me to tell you how Leo Garvin and a man named Venuti were murdered. It it started with a letter I got in which I inherited Suspense, presented by Autolite. Tonight's star, Joseph Cotton. Next week on Suspense, Miss Miriam Hopkins as star of Miss Bone, the story of three women living in a small-town boarding house and the unusual murder that took place there. And in weeks to come... You will hear such famous stars as Milton Berle and Howard Duff appearing in tales well calculated to keep you in suspense. Tonight's suspense play was produced and directed by Elliot Lewis with music composed by Lucian Morawick and conducted by Lud Gluskin. Parts of this program were transcribed. Fly by Night by George and Gertrude Fast was adapted for suspense by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. Joseph Cotton may soon be seen in the 20th Century Fox production, Two Flags West. And remember next week on Suspense, Miss Miriam Hopkins in Miss Bone. Stay tuned for The Fred Allen Show, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now to take a trip back to 1946 and give a listen to The Fred Allen Show.
Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And Kenny, I happen to overhear your opening remarks. Lad, if you are unhappy in your work... Well, how can I be happy, Fred? Every Sunday, what do I do? I have one line. Here he is again. Kenny, the man who invented the telephone only had one line when he started. <laughs> yeah, but Fred, I'm not getting any place in radio. It's the same on my other show. Oh, you're on another... Uh... The Lucky Strike program. Oh, the Lucky Strike program. What do you do on that? You know when the man says L-S-M-F-T? Yeah. Then the tobacco auctioneer says, Yachtata, Yachtata, sold American. Uh-huh. Then a voice says, you bet. You bet. Another voice says, yes, sir. Yes, sir. The voice that says, yes, sir, is mine. <laughs> You're beaten down on that show, too, huh? Hey, Kenny, why don't you give up that other job and just work on our show? You mean you'll pay me the extra money? No, Kenny, but I tell you what I shall do. I'll let you add the line you have on the Lucky Strike program to the line you have on our show. Put them together now and see how they sound. Here he is again. Yes, sir. How is that? Well, that's more like it, Fred. Now I've got something now, to do. As long as you're happy, Kenny. That's... Yes, sir. I'll have... Well, for Portland, pull up an old rejoiner and sit down. What's new? Mama says President Truman has taken over all the coal mines. Does your mother need coal? Yes. Mama's calling up the White House tomorrow and ordering two tons. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> Do away with the middleman. Go right to the top. Well, if she needs any wood, the president could sit down at the piano and give her a couple of chords, I imagine. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> The man crept in here and did something to the script tonight. I won't mention his name. Mama says the world today is a bowling alley. The world is a bowling alley? Every time you turn around, there's a strike. Well, I'm glad that anything you don't understand, applaud. It's perfectly okay. That's what they do in Hollywood. People come in just applaud and get warm and go home. The trains are running again, Portland. Yes, if the railroad strike lasted one more week, yeah. the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe would have been off the hip parade. Oh, that would have been <laughs> Well, I, uh, I think I'll run along, Portland. I have to get my magnifying glass and worm a crab apple. <laughs> Mama says Friday is your birthday. That's right. How old are you? Nobody knows, Portland. I was born before the Decker Company started, so there weren't any records in those days. Mama says... Now, don't you laugh. Don't you... <laughs> You're going to establish a precedent in here. I want to know about it. <laughs> Mama says last year when the candles on your birthday cake melted down... Yeah? There was enough grease to wax the floor at Roseland. Oh, I'm, I'm not that old, Portland. Mama says if you were a piece of radio, I'd be Duncan's other fight. <laughs> well, well, that's life, I guess, Portland. Mama says life is like the Australian fig bird. The Australian fig bird? It lives on the seeds and figs. But there aren't any figs in Australia. The Australian fig bird dies at birth. And the Australian fig bird has nothing on our jokes, let me tell you. <laughs> 
think we'd better get along to Allen's Alley, Portland. What is your question tonight? Well, recently, a Mr. Ralph Slater, a specialist in mental suggestion, made a phonograph record that he guarantees will put any insomniac to sleep. And so our question is, do you have any trouble sleeping? And if you do, what are you doing about it? Shall we go? As the dollar dinner said when the glutton sat down, I'll be gone in a minute. <laughs> so good to get back to Allen's Alley, Portland. It's as quiet as an eel coiling in a bucket of whipped cream. <laughs> Say, I wonder, I wonder if the senator is in. Let's knock. Somebody, I say, somebody knock. Yes, Clag I... Clag on uh, your name, Senator Clag on, that well, is. Look, I know. Something tells me you don't remember me, son. Look, I remember I'm you. from the cell. The bone and possum paradise. Now, look, Senator. The only plant life I have around my house is a Virginia creeper. Now, wait a minute. Every time I get chicken pox, they're southern fried. Senator. Remember me now, son? No. Don't say no in my presence. Why not? And oh, that's North abbreviated. Senator, what about this sleeping problem? Well, I say, uh, when I first went to the Senate, I had plenty of trouble sleeping. You, uh... After the roll was called, I put on my sail-sucker night shirt and yeah. my Lindsay Woolsey beret. Yeah? Yeah, I'd face the south, lean back, close my eyes... And go to sleep, huh? Until some Yankee pigeon plucker would get up, start flapping his lips, and break up my Morpheus filibuster. <laughs> filibuster, that is. Heard you the first time, Senator. Are you still uh, losing sleep, Senator? No, I've solved my problem, son. How? When I'm ready to sleep in the Senate, I sit back and croon myself my southern lullaby. What is your southern lullaby? Rockaby, small fry on the cotton treetop. When the southern wind blows, your cradle will rock. When the wind's from the north, I say, baby, you'll ball. Four down will come, cradle, tree, and you are. Well, very good, Senator. Well, the Senator stopped just in time. I was dozing off myself. Now, I wonder how Titus Moody is doing. Howdy, bub. You're starting to sound like Dennis Day, Titus. Do you have any trouble sleeping? I only half sleep. Half sleep? I got short eyelids. <laughs> With short eyelids, you can't close your eyes, eh? Only when I frown. Oh, I see. Well, are you the only one awake on the farm? No, daylight saving time has got everything in a swivet. The animals are bewildered? Yeah, my cow had insomnia. Your cow didn't sleep at all? The bags under her eyes were so big. I didn't know which end to milk. You were confused, eh? Yeah. First time I milked the wrong end and got two buckets full of homogenized tears. Well, have you cured the cow's insomnia? I got a book on hypnotizing. Good. I stood in front of the cow. Yeah? I stared right into her eyes. Uh-huh. I started waving with my hand. Uh-huh. I said, Alakazam, Alakazam, you ain't a cow, you're a hen. You're a, you're a hen. Well, was your hypnotism a success? Yeah. Today, that cow thinks she's a hen. Well, how do you know? Well, she's sitting on a nest. You mean? She's laying eggnogs. Oh, my... 
let's try this next door here. No. Oh, Mrs. Nussbaum. You're expecting maybe Hoagie Carbuncle. <laughs> Tell me, Mrs. Ann, do you have trouble sleeping? Who could sleep? Every night with his dreaming, my husband Pierre is waking me up. He dreams, huh? Always his different things. Dreams his different things? How do you mean? One night, Pierre is dreaming he is the lone stranger. Yeah. <laughs> All night long, he is yelling, Hi-ho, Silver! Hi-ho, Silver, huh? Upstairs is living a Mr. Silver. Yeah. <laughs> All night, he is yelling back, Hi-ho, In his pajamas, Pierre is sleeping with the top down. Oh. <laughs> Fine. Hence, he is dreaming he is an Alka-Seltzer. An Alka-Seltzer? All night, Pierre is fizzing. Well, no wonder. <laughs> no wonder you can't sleep. Last night, he should drop dead. <laughs> what happened? He is dreaming he is a tea kettle. A tea kettle, huh? All night long, Pierre is whistling. Whistling? In the morning when he is waking, yeah. in bed with Pierre is 20 dogs. <laughs> that brings us to the lavender shanty at the end of the alley. Let's try here. You knocked three times. Do you think that's nice? In my last picture, the postman rang twice. Ah, Falstaff, you have new poems tonight? Indubitably. Has <laughs> turned. Said the little bear to the big giraffe, let's eat a hyena just for a laugh. No. Or, uh, when I called her baby, her face lit up because she had a lantern jaw. No. <laughs> How about this? Mother's home putting spikes in her shoes. She's playing first base for Vera Cruz. Now, wait a minute, <laughs> You exponent of the hackney, tonight we are discussing the problem of sleep. My poem awaits your bidding. And what is your shut-eye sonata called? My recipe for slumber. How does it be? If you cannot sleep at night and you don't know what to do, my recipe for slumber is just the thing for you. Don't waste time taking powders. Don't bother counting sheep. Don't dawdle in a hot bath hoping you will sleep. But don't give up drinking coffee. Don't send for any gland bath. You can eat and drink all night, and still you'll meet the sandman. My recipe for slumber is older than the Sphinx. Just cut 20 tiddlies into halves, and you'll get 40 winks. Well, thank you. Accompanied by Maestro Al Goodman and his I Haven't Got a Joke for them this week, Philharmonic, the DeMarco sing Doing What Comes Naturally. <laughs> Even write his name. 
let's face it, Jack. Radio needs new blood. Who knows? We, we, we may be through. I've been on radio 14 years. They can't throw me aside like an old shoe. But, Jack... 14 years. And now, like an old shoe. But, Jack, you with that hmm and yipe, 14 years is a long time. <laughs> what has Ma Perkins got that I haven't got? Only longer commercials. <laughs> well, Jack, you know how it is in radio. Today you're a star. Tomorrow Ralph Edwards is hitting you in the face with a pie. <laughs> Like an old shoe. Well, cheer up, Jack. At least we have our memories. We've known each other for 30 years. Yep. The first time I met you, Fred, I was just a kid in school. A diller, a dollar, a 10 o'clock scholar. You were the only 10 o'clock scholar I ever saw with 5 o'clock shadow. <laughs> How I could use some of that fuzz today. I could use a good joke today, too. <laughs> The next time we met, we were in Fordville, remember? You were doing a musical act. Playing the violin. What a finish I had. When I played Glowworm, my violin lit up. <laughs> With those neon strings, it was beautiful. Fred, remember my encore? Encore? Remember I'd put the violin bow in my teeth, bend the crab, and play Listen to the Mockingbird? And as you bent the crab, two mockingbirds flew out of the back of your pants. <laughs> I stopped every show. Remember? <laughs> Except this one. Remember the closing. Remember the closing. This one stopped five minutes before I got on it. Remember, remember that week in Needles, Arizona, the closing act, Cohen's Camels. Cohen's? No, no. The closing act. Jack, how could you forget Cohen's Camels? Cohen, I remember. My sponsor told me to forget that other word. the happy days. The next time I saw you, you were just going into radio. Radio. I remember the morning Marconi called me up. <laughs> Marconi? Marconi and Singing Sam had a little radio station in a doorway down on the east side. The antenna was a Western Union boy holding a wire. Well, I guess... Those jokes don't fit me. No, they don't. The antenna. When did I ever say antenna on my own show? <laughs> Go ahead, Fred. Well, it's all over, Jack. We've come to the end of the rainbow. Like an old shoe. Like a, there it is again. Been on ten minutes already. I've only had it to an old <laughs> shoe. I forgot antenna. Yeah. You ought to get a boot out of that old shoe by now. No, I'm sorry I brought it back in again. Seems like only yesterday I ran into the maid company and said, Mary, stop demonstrating that Brillo. That's another word I don't know. Cheer up, Jack. When you re when you're retired, you can tune in on my program. Your program? You mean you're not getting thrown out of radio too? Well, why should I? Listen, if my program is old stuff, you with that broken down Allen's Alley. Oh, well, wait. I mean my new show. New show? Uh, people don't want entertainment today. A radio show has to give away things: nylons, ice boxes, automobiles. You mean to stay on the air? You have to give things away. Free? Yes. <laughs> I'll die first. Well, not me. I'm auditioning my new program tonight. And you're, Fred, you're giving things away? Tons of stuff. A stranger? What's the difference who gets it? Well, Fred, as long as I'm here in the studio... Well, I'm sorry, Jack. Professional... <laughs> Professional people cannot participate. It's a rule. But don't you ever find people on these programs changing their names to 
To get something for nothing? Well, occasionally we do catch a phony, but we're on the air. What can we do? Nothing. You you have to give them the merchandise? That's right. Hmm. <laughs> Mr. Allen, we're ready for your audition. I'll run along, Fred. So long. So long, Jack. Hmm. Giving away things for nothing. <laughs> well, all right, Mr. Goodman. Let's try out my new show. How would you like to be king for a day? <laughs> in the audience like those $1,000 bills you found on your seats when you came in? Good. And if you want more, there'll be a big bag of money at the door. On your way out, help yourselves. But the stage is loaded with hundreds of presents for the first man to answer our jumbo jackpot question. He will be king for a day. And here is our first eager contestant. Good evening, sir. What is your name? Abner Plog. Uh, Mr. Plog, how old are you? I'm 98. Ninety-eight years old. And don't pin no orchid onto me. No, uh, no orchid, eh? That's how I lost my wife. On a quiz program? Yeah. My wife was 102. The fella pinned an orchid onto her. I see. The weight of the orchid bent my wife over and snapped her spine. Well, that's too bad. Yeah, my wife won first prize, but she never knew it. Well, all right, Mr. Flogg. Now for our question. You may be king for a day. I don't think I'll last through the day. <laughs> all right, we'll hurry. Tell me, who was the sixth president of the United States? The sixth? There were three names. Mary Margaret McBride. Oh, Awfully sorry, Mr. Flogg, but for making such a swell try, here is a gift certificate presented at LaGuardia Airfield, and you will get a brand new B-29 and a polka dot form-fitting parachute. Happy landing, Mr. Flogg. And here is our next potential king for a day. Your name, sir? Myron Proudfoot. You look like a chap I know. I'm not interested in your friends. Start giving things away, brother. <laughs> what is your occupation, Mr. Proudfoot? I'm a chaplain in a bakery. <laughs> what does a chaplain do in a bakery? I put wings on angel cakes. <laughs> How long have you been in the cake business, Mr. Proudfoot? Long enough to know a crumb when I see one. <laughs> I see one. Get sarcastic, Mr. Proudleg. The name is Proudfoot, and make with the question. All right. Who is the sixth president of the United States? John Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams is correct, and Mr. Myron Proudfoot is king for a day. <laughs> Folks, here he is, King Proudfoot. Well, Your Majesty, how do you feel? Never mind how I feel. What do I get? Well, first... <laughs> First, for His Majesty from Schnook Sport Nook, a genuine nose splash, beaver board, canoe paddle. Here's a canoe paddle. Oh, boy! <laughs> and with the compliments of Tiffany's, this chromium pitchfork. For me, a four pronger, and it's all mine. <laughs> and from Hemingway's hardware store, 200 pounds of self hardening putty. For <laughs> Just what I need. Just what I need. This is just the beginning, King. King, you are over 35. By two years. Fine. That's Jumbo Carter, Uncle Jim. For His Majesty. He is over. Epi, Epi, that's yipe backwards. And here, the piston rod from 
a genuine Baldwin locomotive for His Majesty the King. <laughs> oh, locomotive. And here from Melody Lane Music Shop, this case of 2,000 soybean mandolin picks. These are the mandolins. I just keep pinching myself to believe it. Immediately after this program, Your Majesty will be guest of honor at a banquet at Hamburger Heaven. Tomorrow morning, through the courtesy of the sanitation department, you will be guest conductor on the 11-5 garbage run through the Bronx. At night, in your ermine robe, you will be whisked by bicycle to Orange, New Jersey, where you will be the judge in a chicken cleaning contest. I'm king for a day! To make you look like a king. Sam of Sam's Super Shoe Shine Stand is here to brush your shoes. All right, Sam. Sam, watch out for the button. Next, the president of the Busy Bee Hat Cleaners is here to block your hat. Take the king's hat, Mr. Bumble. And change the newspaper and the hat back. Your suit is a little baggy, king. Boys, take his majesty's coat off. On our stage, we have a Hoffman pressing machine. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. An expert operating the Hoffman pressing machine will press your trousers. Now, wait a minute. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Sam Spade, followed by My Favorite Husband. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.